Our sermon text this morning comes to us from Psalm chapter 139, and we'll read all of it this morning as an act of worship. This is God's word for his people. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such wonder, what such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord is my portion. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I will I'll begin our sermon this morning with a little bit of a confession. I have been preparing uh, for this morning a little bit uh, like Floyd Money Mayweather over the past eight months or so. Uh, because today uh, we mark uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. T today is the very day 50 years ago that the United States Supreme Court passed Roe versus Wade. And it is the first Sunday since Roe versus Wade was overturned. Thanks be to God. But after Roe was overturned, many Christians, so-called, took to every form of media to crow their dismay 
at the overturn of woe on every possible media channel. And this morning, as we evaluate Psalm 139, I hope that something will become very, very clear to you. That a Christian who supports abortion is hypocritical, logically inconsistent, and intellectually dishonest. If we give the best of all possible countenance to that opinion, a Christian who supports abortion is simply cowardly. Some of you are thinking right now, if I knew I was coming to the OK Corral, I probably would have packed a little heavier. But we need to recapture the importance of the doctrine of the sacredness of life. It flows from the doctrine of creation, and it isn't a game. On this subject, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, are something of a manifesto. As we get to Psalm 139, this is, we are in the the last Psalms uh, that David wrote. And this psalm is so beautiful because it talks about God's interaction with his creation. It it speaks of how God knows his creation and his intimate knowledge of it. And, and, And we come away from it understanding that God doesn't know creation like you and I know it. You you go into your biology classroom or you look in your telescope and you learn things about God's world. He doesn't know his world that way. He doesn't learn it as it develops. He knows its every detail because he determined every detail. You see, every fact of the universe exists because God made it a fact. And every fact of the universe exists for one purpose, to disclose to us the majesty and glory of God Almighty. This is why in verse 6, David concludes, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't take it all in. My brain can't contain it. I think about all of this, how looking out upon the congregation this morning and God knows every word that you will speak today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. He knows all the facts because he created all the facts. This universe is not independent of God. As as Paul argued in Acts 17, it is in Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. And so what can the psalmist do but conclude with adoration? This morning, as we look specifically at verses 13 through 16... What we see is that every life, every human life is created by God in an intimate act over which He presides. And He has ordained every one of our days and gives our lives their purpose. 
Human life is from God. Human life is, intimate, is, is the result of an intimate act. Human life is written in God's book. And human life has purpose. Let's notice, first of all, that human life is from, is from God. Another way to think about these is from maybe their point of application. We're going to think about equality, obedience, scope, and worship this morning. But first of all, human life is from God. The emphasis of this entire chapter is on God's work. David is looking at all that God has done, how God has directed his life, and he's opening his mouth in praise and directing other people to do. So uh, this is written to the choir master to be sung by the people of God. And verse 13 begins with this word, for, or surely in the Hebrew. Connecting with it with verses 7 to 12 that come before. And what, what the psalmist is writing here is that no part, no part of your life is hidden from God. This is because no part of your life, and this is so essential, so essential, that no part of your life, no moment of your life is separate from dependence upon God. There is not a moment where you become dependent upon Him. There's not a moment where He becomes mindful of you, mindful of your existence, but your very existence flows from Him. He watches over you because... From start to finish, you belong to Him. Thirty times in this psalm, David says, you or your. The emphasis of it is on God's sovereign activity. In verses 13 through 16, the emphasis is on God's activity in the very formation of human life. It is His work. No man creates himself. No man gives himself life. No man gives credit for his life to another. All life is from God. In you might know this, but in 1776, Thomas Jefferson sort of holed up for about three weeks in his home in Philadelphia, and he sat down to write what has become known as the Declaration of Independence. What you may not know is that the Continental Congress, in Thomas Jefferson's words, mangled his original draft of that Declaration of Independence. Now, they maintained the, much of the original words, especially the very beginning of it, which you remember says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. But what you may not know is that Jefferson's original words were, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. That all men are created equal and independent. In other words, we aren't born for King George. That from that equal creation, they derive rights inherent. In other words, Washington, D.C. doesn't give you your rights. They maintain them. They defend them. 
among which are preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. This was important to the early American colonists because they asserted that rights are from God, not government. Government merely exists by the consent of the governed, mind you, to preserve those rights. You see, what Thomas Jefferson is saying is, this has to come at the very beginning. Brothers, if we're going to argue against the tyranny of King George, the very foundation, the very rafter upon which these truths hold, against which, on which our protest holds, is the doctrine of creation. If men are not created, then let tyranny prevail. If men are not created, then who cares who dies and lives? These verses apply to every single human life. In Psalm 139, these verses remind us why all the prejudices you encounter in life are wrong. And some of our friends will want to decry prejudice and inequality and then argue for abortion. You can't do that. You either take the whole doctrine of creation or you throw the whole thing out. Why shouldn't you discriminate against someone based on his skin color? Because he's a created being. Why shouldn't you look down on a poor man and exalt a rich man? Why should you give equal treatment to men with handicaps? You see, this doctrine equalizes men. All men are created equal and independent. Equality doesn't come from the Civil Rights Act. It doesn't come from the Americans with Disabilities Act. Equality comes from the doctrine of creation. That God made all life because no matter his skin color, station in life, or ability, every man has been made by God. Now, this might have been part of the aspect of the Declaration of Independence that Jefferson said the Continental Congress mangled. Because originally, in all of his protests against King George, he included a, a, a fairly substantial paragraph accusing King George of violating create, the created order by enslaving men. The Continental Congress deleted the paragraph. He, he says this about King George. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in, in another hemisphere or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the opprobrium of infidel powers, is the warfare of, in all caps, Christian king of Great Britain. He was coming out a little bit like Floyd Money Mayweather, too. Why could he argue against slavery, chattel slavery? Because of the doctrine of creation. Now, some of our, I'm, 
I hesitate even to call them friends, who wrap themselves in Christian garb, say, some people want to tell us what to do with our bodies. They just don't want us to be free. That's a quotation. No. We don't want to tell you what to do with your body. We want to tell you what to do with the body that for a period of time is nesting in your body. We're telling you what you cannot do to someone else's body that happens to be inside yours for 40 weeks. At what point does the doctrine of creation apply to a child? Or the Declaration of Independence? We happen to believe that the Declaration of Independence applies to every human life. Secondly, not only is human life from God, and therefore we can argue for equality of men and we can oppose tyranny. Secondly, human life is an intimate act. Some of you are saying, I know that and I don't want to talk about that in public. But the psalmist here depicts the creation of each life as something that God presides over in an intimate fashion. Go back with uh, me to the words that we read in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And then he says in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. There are two, two poetical couplets here that speak of how intimately God was involved in the creation of every human life. And what the psalmist is getting at is this, that body and soul, you belong to the Lord. We opened our worship this morning reading from Psalm 95, and, and the psalmist there is going through a litany of creation and saying, think about the earth, think about the stars in the heavens, think about the seas. They all belong to the Lord. As you go down to the beach and have your vacation and you, you swim in the waters there and you observe the wildlife, all of that belongs to the Lord, and so does every life. But every life belongs to Him in a special way. We don't read these words about starfish. The first couplet, he says, you formed my inward parts. Now, literally this means you possessed my kidneys. That's if we translated it literally from the Hebrew, you possessed my kidneys. Metaphorically, this phrase that the psalmist is using refers to his inmost being. In other places in the psalms, he'll say, I praise you with my entire being, my inward parts, my affections, my emotions, my loves, my hates, my desires, all of that, my ability, my athleticism, my wisdom, all of that comes from you. I can't take credit for any of it. My whole being <coughs> belongs to you. And then he says, you knitted me together. This refers to the creation of the body. You see what the psalmist is getting at with this couplet. 
My inward parts and my external parts. My body and my soul. All of that belongs to you. You put it together. You formed my inward parts. Or as Job would say in chapter 10, you clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Now, another lady pastor, which is like saying jumbo shrimp, said, it doesn't say you made me alive in my mother's womb. What the psalmist is stating so plainly is that God formed your inward being and your outer being. He formed your body and your soul so that no aspect of you is outside of his dominion. As Pastor Danny prayed this morning, there's no aspect of you over which God cannot say, mine. So that the use of your athleticism, the use of your mind, the use of your affections, all of that belongs to the Lord and must be directed to His glory. That is why it exists. Body and soul, all that constitutes you is from God. And we we see this again in the second couplet, beginning in verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. Literally, my bones were not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. You see it again, don't you? Just in reverse. Body and soul. My bones, my unformed substance. Um, here the emphasis is on the fact that God saw it. Um, I guess over the past couple of weeks, uh, my wife and my son have started a small garden in our home. And so they've taken these, these half pieces of uh, chicken and egg carton, and in them are, uh, are cabbage seeds and carrot seeds and spinach seeds. And so one of the fun things to do over the past couple of weeks is to water those and take them out and let them get the sunlight. But then you, you know what you do. You go in every day or maybe a couple of times a day and you're just like, oh, it's sprouting up. Look, I can see the little spouts coming through. And so what the psalmist is communicating to us is that this is the intimacy with which God observes and presides over like a mother. The development of you in the womb. You saw it before I showed up on a pregnancy test or my heartbeat could be detected by an ultrasound machine. God saw it. Give you just a couple little things to apply from this. In the resurrection... We often talk about how there will be a a physical continuity between the body that you have now and the body that you will have in in the life to come. And some of you are saying, well, I hope not too much continuity. But it will be without the pains and all the shortcomings. But but do you know also there will be a personality continuity without all the shortcomings? Because God intimately presided over you and the development of you without the sinful parts. 
the, 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 the things that are continuous in your family, those personality quirks, some of that will still be there. But sanctified and glorified completely, there will be a continuity because God made that part of you too. But a second thing that we, we recognize is, is that um, you and I can't be reduced to chemical processes. You're not just peptides and synapses of the brain. God gives you emotions and affections. This is what it means to be His image bearer. All that makes you, you, is from Him. These verses establish, thirdly, under some application here, why all men have a duty to obey and worship Jehovah. Moses Speaking to Israel in Deuteronomy 32, verse 6 says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? All men owe God obedience and worship because he made all life. Intimately. Thirdly, human life is written in God's book. This is the the scope aspect. Notice what the psalmist concludes with in verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Using poetic language, David said, my whole life is written in your book. Do you know that that if you could go to God's library and look on his shelves, there's one with your name on it, and the highs and the lows are all written in that book. He decreed and ordained every one of your days. Including for the ladybugs. And a key question for us to answer is this. Given all the psalmist has said so far, where does the Lord begin to record those days? When? Is it when the egg implants into the uterine wall? When a heartbeat develops, or when you can record the synapses of the brain, is that when he begins to record the days? No. The psalmist teaches us that God decreed every day before there was yet one of them. It is God who opens the womb and permits life to develop. And it is God who closes the womb in his wisdom and at his decree. Every day. And as we think about one of the great debates in the abortion controversy as when does human life begin? Well, it begins in the will of God. 
The perspective of the creation fundamentally rules over the debate. The psalmist saying that his days began when God was forming him in the secret places. Fourthly, human life has purpose. Go back up with me to verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Every life that exists is a created life. And it exists for one purpose. To magnify the triune God through the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what gives life dignity. The psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and will we'll wax eloquent on well, fearfully. That, that means uh, in fear and trembling, I acknowledge this doctrine. I don't belong to myself. I belong to a creator. Wonderfully made. I, I don't fully understand the whole thing, the whole process. But what the psalmist is saying is, I know that I am made to glorify the triune God. Humanity is wonderful because all God does is wonderful. All of your works are wonderful. Every one of them. Including and especially the creation of human life. Because of all that you have made, O Lord, you've made Man, able to wonder and marvel at your creation. Every life that God brings into being exists to give Him praise. Every single human life. The psalmist says, my soul knows it very well. Implanted on the soul of every human being is an understanding that he must praise God. Now some suppress it. No doubt. In foolishness, some suppress it. But it is the purpose for every life. You know, this is what makes murder so heinous. Because the moment that you close the book on someone's life, you're closing the book on someone that God created to worship Him. This is why He revealed to Noah in Genesis 9, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. To end a human life is to eliminate one of God's worshipers. This is what makes the act so heinous. Unlawful killing is to rob God. To end a human life is to take away one of his worshipers. Ebenezer Scrooge 
spoke of decreasing the surplus population of the world, and maybe sometimes you're tempted to think of it that way, that there are just some people that are bottom dwellers in this life. But God doesn't see it that way. Every life is one that he has created for his own glory. Many, many well-meaning Christians, and we are seriously giving the benefit of the doubt here, have said, I don't support abortion, but I support the right to choose. No, you don't support the right to choose. What you believe is that a pregnant woman has superior rights to the created life within her. To support your position, you must tear down the doctrine of creation and replace it with a philosophy that man is merely the product of natural processes. If you are right, then you and I are no different than aardvarks and ants. The same logic supports chattel slavery. The same logic supports genocide and the destruction of men with birth defects. Scripture, on the other hand, teaches that all human life is created as part of an intimate act of God. Every moment of every life is written in God's book and has purpose assigned by Him. So I'll conclude by asking you, is there any type of human life to which Psalm 139, 13-16 does not apply? Is there any type of human life to which the doctrine of creation does not apply? Does it apply to children born into poverty? Does it apply to children who are the product of rape? Does the doctrine of creation apply to children who are the product of abuse? At what point... In Yahweh's creative process, does an individual have the right to destroy that created life? If you hold the biblical doctrine of creation consistently, you will affirm that all human life is intimately created by God Every man's days from conception to natural death are marked out by God. And every life has divine purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we remember that All men, by right, ought to begin his day with those words. For you are the creator of every man. You possess the life, the soul, the body, the being of every man. No man belongs to himself, but we are created by you for your glory. It is you who have ordained praise from the mouths of babes. And we thank you, O Lord, 
that in your divine wisdom from all eternity, you created us distinctly from all creation to exercise dominion over it, to cause it to redound to your glory. Lord, you possess us body and soul. And we praise you for that truth. Help us, O Lord, to live according to it, to be sanctified even in our thoughts about this very important subject. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.